Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 30. Hear then the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that, he had, all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. People ran there by land from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. Verse 38, or 37 still. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said, Five. And two fish. Verse 39. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was filled. Then he picked up then they picked up twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who ate the loaves were five thousand men or five thousand males. Verse forty five. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them being battered as they rowed because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and he wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded, because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and beached the boat. And they got out of the boat, and as they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout the, that vicinity and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Verse 56, wherever he would go, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the tassel of his robe, and everyone who touched it was made well.
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we worship you as the only one who can meet our needs. We worship Jesus as the bread of life. For those who come to him will never hunger, and those who believe in him will never thirst. You promised that to us, Father, in your word. And so, Lord, we are here. We have come, we have gathered here to feast on Christ. We have gathered here to feed on your word. We have come to have our minds changed, our hearts softened, our feet, our feet and our hands emboldened to act and to move and to obey, to love others by the strength you give us and the strength you supply. But Father, none of that will be empowered by your Spirit if you don't speak to us by your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak and that your Spirit would open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word. Guard us from distract, distraction. Protect us from the evil one. Bring us not into temptation. May your, your name be honored as holy this morning. And may you, through us, let your kingdom continue to march forward and come on this earth. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, an age-old question that recurs over and over in every generation, and not just in every generation, but in all cultures, is, does God really care about me? I mean, if I'm going through the struggles and the pains and the trials I'm going through, does God really care? Because if he cared, why would I be going through the struggles I'm going through? Remember, we were in Mark chapter 4 several months ago, and his disciples were in the boat, in several boats, in a storm, and Jesus was sleeping. And they wake Jesus up and they say, don't you even care? Do you even care that we're about to die? It's a common question. And here you get something similar. It's a different boat story, same sea, same disciples, different story, a few different details here, different event. But a very similar question of does God care for us if our needs aren't being met? I have needs. They're not being met. God, do you care? I have Trials and I have struggles physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially. Do you care, God? This passage, in this passage, what we learn is not name, not just that Jesus cares, but we learn how he cares. Okay, so in this passage, we're going to learn how Jesus cares for his people in their need and in their struggle. And that's the main idea today. Jesus cares for his people in their need and in their struggle by meeting their needs and by revealing himself. By meeting their needs and by revealing himself. And so those are the two points. If you're taking notes this, this morning, these are the two points. First, we'll look at Jesus caring for his people in their need. Secondly, we'll look at Jesus caring for people in their struggle. Okay? Caring for people in their need, caring for people in their struggle. And that will help us to understand this passage that's before us. This morning. So let's look at the first one. Jesus cares for his people in their need. Look at verse 30. So the apostles, they gathered around Jesus. They came back to Jesus to report because they just were, they were just sent on a mission trip. They were sent out two by two to go spread the gospel in the various regions and towns and villages of Galilee. They were teaching, they were casting out demons, and they were healing the sick everywhere. And so Jesus' popularity is rising like a, you know, like a skyrocket. It's just, it's just bursting forward and he's going viral here. And everyone is learning about who Jesus is. 
Well, his disciples come back to Jesus because you don't just get sent out on mission. You have to report to your commander, right? So they come back and report to their commander what they had done and what they had taught in verse 30. And then verse 31, we see Jesus caring for his people, his 12. How does he care for them? Look at 31. He says to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. How is he caring for them? Guys, you're tired. You've been out for weeks. You've been sharing the gospel. You've been casting out demons. You've been healing the sick. You've been rejected by a lot of people. You've been received by some people. It's been a busy time. You know what you guys need? You need a break. Let's take a break. Let's get away and rest for a while. And it says why in verse 31, because people were coming and going. Jesus was so popular and the disciples were even so popular that they, didn't, they did not even have time to what? To eat, right? That's when you know you're busy, right? When you're so hungry, well, when you're so busy that you forget to eat because the task and the demand is constant without a break, right? You get to sleep, you wake up and there's people there and they all want healing. They all want demons cast out and they all, some of them want the teaching as well. And so they're tired and Jesus cares for them by saying it's time to get rest. Now, this rest is not what we would today call me time. You know, people say, I, I need some me time. I need some alone time. And they're talking about just by themselves. That's not what Jesus is going for here. He's not going for me time. He's going for Jesus time. Let's get away. Just to, let's go for a spiritual retreat. You and me, just us. You see, because our lives, even as disciple makers sent on the great commission, the, the, the life of following Christ is not primarily do, 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 do. Do this, do that, do this, do that. It's primarily rest in Jesus. Rest with Jesus. Commune with him. What is the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's, and then the second is love your neighbor. Yeah, go out and do those things. But the main command... The main thing that defines your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is getting away with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. Not alone time, not me time, Jesus time. Where you're resting, and you're refreshed, and you're just receiving as he, he, he feeds us, and he, he communes with us and strengthens us. So some people might ask the question, is, worship, is worshiping God made up of communing with Jesus or serving people? What's the answer? Both, right. It's both. It's not either or. Now, it is both, but they're, they're, not, they're not the same thing, right? Communing with Jesus gives you strength to serve people. And then when you serve people, when you serve people, that pushes you back to Jesus again. So you commune with God before you serve people, you commune with God while you're serving people, and you commune with God after you serve people. Because it's all about your relationship with God. But if you're going to love God, you have to love your neighbor. You can't just love God and forget the world. That's not loving God, actually. That's disobeying God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And part of my commands is love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you have to serve, but don't let service define you. Communing with me, Jesus said, defines you. And so we, we see that here. And Jesus gets this. That's why he wants them to, to, to step away. He wants them to abide in him, as it says in John 15, verse 4. You know, Mary and Martha, you know the story of Mary and Martha, where Mary sits and listens at Jesus' feet, and Martha is serving busily. And Jesus says, she has chosen, Mary has chosen the one necessary thing, to commune with me. Jesus cares for our needs. He cares that our service and our expended energy pushes us back to his side. 
so we can get close to him again. And our greatest need is to enjoy Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time just because it's very important and it's true. Our greatest need is to enjoy Jesus. That's your greatest need. And Jesus wanted that for them, so it's time to retreat. But God the Father had other plans. Look at verse 32. So they go away by themselves by a boat. They're going to the other side. People see them from the shore. And what do they do? They start rushing to them. Now, if you, if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, there's towns all around the sea. But not, in, not all, like, I mean, there are towns around, but there are some sections around the sea where there are no towns. It's desolate. It's deserted. It's just land. So they're going to one of those places, far away from the towns, far away from the villages, so they can just get alone with Jesus, just them and Jesus. But people see them from the shore. They know his boats, right? They recognize him. The word gets out. And you know a crowd builds a crowd, right? You get 500 traveling. You get 700. You see all this, you, where, Where's everyone going? You start walking. You don't even know where you're going yet. You're just joining the crowd, right? Because all pe- people are going and you don't want to miss out. So you go. And by the time they get to where Jesus is, 5,000 men plus women and children. So you have maybe, what, 20,000 people here? Probably 30,000 people gathered, just a huge crowd gathered there when Jesus gets off the boat in a deserted place. No villages around, no towns, no farms, just deserted land and 30,000 people. So what does Jesus do? It says in verse 33, well, the people ran, run there. Verse 34, so as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd. Now, when you see that huge crowd, what would you do? Okay, before we look on... You're trying to get alone time. You're tired. You've been feeding people and ministering and ministering and serving and people tapping you on the shoulder and asking you for favors all over the place. You finally get away to get alone and you step off the boat and there are 30,000 people in front of you. How do you feel? Irritated? Annoyed? Can't I get away? You know? Please, a break, time out, please, something. That's how I would respond, irritated, angry. I'd get back in the boat, guys, we're going, we're going the other side again, you know. Just keep rowing, you know. Um, no, that's not what he does. What does he, what does he do? He sees the crowd, it says in verse 34, and what does he have? Compassion. Compassion on them. Because they are sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. Okay. Does Jesus care? Yes. Does he have compassion? Yes. He's not cranky like me. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord, he, 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 he's so filled with love. He's so, I mean, he came to earth humbling himself to become a servant, right? He's dying to himself. He has taken up his cross. He is there to serve. And so he has compassion on the crowd because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And this is where I want to focus our thought about Jesus caring for our needs. He cares for our needs like a sheep. Like He looks at them like sheep without, without a shepherd. What does that mean? Sheep without a shepherd. It means that they don't have a leader. Why do sheep need a shepherd? And another word for shepherd, by the way, is pastor. It's the same word in Greek. Why do sheep need a pastor? Why do sheep need a shepherd? They go astray. They get lost. So they need guidance. They get lost. They can't protect themselves from the weather. They can't protect themselves from wolves. They have no defense. They need shepherding because they can't hunt for themselves. They're not aggressive. They don't even know where to find grass. So they need food, they need protection, and they need guidance. So imagine 30,000 people in front of you, you're Jesus, you step on the shore. Imagine 30,000, 20 to 30,000 people in front of you, and they are starving 
in their lives. Maybe not physically starving, but they have no clue what life is about. They have no guidance. They're spiritually hungry. They don't know who God is. They have some religious background and superstitions, but they don't really know who God is. And they're lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. It's like 20,000 children. You know, I mean, imagine children lost in an amusement park. You know, you lose, you lose a child, a five-year-old child, six-year-old child in an amusement park. They can't find their parents. Don't you, have you ever seen a child lost somewhere and you feel compassion for them, right? You start looking around for the parent too. Now imagine 20,000 of those people, 30,000 lost, no sheep or no shepherd, no parent, no guidance, no protection. And here they are attracted to Jesus because they want, they want to see a miracle. They want healing. They want to hear him teach. And so what does Jesus do in verse 34? It says, because they were like sheep without shepherd, that's why he had compassion. So what does he do? He begins to what? Teach them many things. Now that's strange. You see a bunch of people who are lost in life, and what do you do? Teach. All right, everyone. Class, 30,000 people class, pay attention. I got a lesson for you. They're lost. They want to see miracles. They're feeling lost in life, and Jesus is there to teach. How is teaching shepherding? Is teaching shepherding? Well, to get an idea of what this is referring to, we need to actually go back to the Old Testament. So if you can turn your Bibles fast enough, you can read along with me. If you can't, don't worry, just listen. I'll read the verses. But Numbers, go to Numbers 27. It's in the very beginning of your Bible. It's the fourth book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So Numbers chapter 27. Or you can just listen. Faith comes by hearing, so it's fine to hear. Numbers 27, beginning in verse 15. It says this. So Moses appealed to the Lord. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man. So God's, Moses is talking to God. Moses is the man who just brought his Israel nation out of Egypt. Right? And they've been wandering through the desert. Moses is an old man now. He's not going to go to the promised land. And so he says to God, appoint a man over the community, verse 17, who will go out before them and come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in. So that the Lord's community won't be like what? Sheep without a shepherd. Sound familiar? The Lord replied to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole community and commission him in their sight. Confer some of your authority on him so that the entire Israelite community will obey him. What was Moses to the people? He was the shepherd of the sheep, right? He was a shepherd of the sheep. And so what does that mean? Moses was a spiritual leader. He was a political leader. He was a social leader. Moses was even the military leader of the nation of Israel. And he's about to pass on. So he passes on the spiritual, political, social, military leadership to who? Joshua to lead the nation. If he doesn't pass it on, they are going to be like sheep without a shepherd. They need a Moses-Joshua type leader to lead the people of God into the kingdom of God because they just left the kingdom of Egypt. So set up the kingdom of God, which is going to be found in Solomon's time. And, and, and God's spirit has to be in this shepherd. So the shepherd is going to be the leader of the people of God, the nation of Israel. Well, in 1 Kings 22, don't turn there for the sake of time, but 1 Kings 22, verse 17, Micaiah, the prophet, picks up the same theme, and he says, you know what? The kings are about to go to war. They're sitting on their two thrones up on the 
throne room and, and they say, Micaiah, tell us what's going to happen. Micaiah says, I saw a vision and I saw that you guys are going to lose the war and you kings are going to die. And then he says this, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills, 1 Kings twenty two seventeen. He's telling the kings this. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace. So the shepherd here is the king of Israel, right? Moses was not a king, but he was, a mil- he was the, basically the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch all rolled into one. The king of Israel is all of that as well. And now they have no king, so they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so, so um, this, this, this continues on in the story of Israel where they get kicked out of the land into exile. And you know why God kicks them out of the promised land? He says this in Ezekiel 34, verse 2. He says to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the kings, prophets, and priests of Israel. Say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to you, shepherds! Cursed are you, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? The kings of Israel... The prophets, the false prophets, the priests were getting fat off of the bill of the people. They weren't serving. They weren't shepherding. They weren't caring for the flock. They were feeding themselves. And the people went off in chaos as well. And so God scattered them. It says in verse 5 of Ezekiel 34, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals and they were scattered. And then God says at the end of Ezekiel, verse 22 of chapter 34, I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey for you. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will appoint appoint over them a single shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. There's the key. Kings of Israel, you failed. Prophets of Israel, you failed. The false ones, at least. Priests of Israel, you failed in shepherding the people. So I'm going to send my own shepherd, a single shepherd, David. Problem is, Ezekiel's writing about 580 B.C. David's been dead for almost four, over 400 years. Is David going to rise from the dead and shepherd the people? Who is this David? Jesus Christ, the son of David, right? And so when Jesus steps on the shore with this background of a Moses-type shepherd leader, a Joshua-type shepherd leader, the kings of Israel-type shepherd leader, the failed prophets, priests, and kings who failed to shepherd the people of God, Jesus steps on the shore, sees 30,000 out there, and he sees them like like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart melts. His heart breaks. He cares for his people. He cares for their needs. And so what does he do? He teaches them. He teaches them. Why teaching? I thought they needed a kingdom. Moses didn't just teach. Moses was a military leader. Joshua was a military leader. The kings were, were political leaders. Isn't Jesus supposed to set up the kingdom? Isn't that his message? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1, 14 and 15. They're there ready for the kingship. Actually, after he feeds the 5,000 here, it says in John 16, they're ready to make him king. And Jesus has to actually send them away and say, whoa, 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 I'm not here to be that kind of king. You do need a king, and I'm going to bring the, king that was pro- the kingdom that was prophesied, but this kingdom is not the way you're thinking. It will be political and everything in the end, but not at first. At first, it's going to be spiritual. And so what does he do? Instead of saying, all right, let me pick my administration, let me set up my campaign, let's set up the military men. We've got 5,000 men here. 
And by the way, this region where they are setting up is where different military groups who rebelled against Rome set up in, from, from the Jews. So this is a military hotbed where he's at, a rebellious hotbed for the, for the empire. And so you got 5,000 men there. You're like, okay, these guys are ready to go. Let's do it, king. We'll follow you. And instead of setting up the military strategy, he teaches them many things. He teaches them about the kingdom. He teaches them about sin. He teaches them about the prophecies being fulfilled. He teaches them that they need a savior. He teaches them that they need to repent from their sins and believe in the gospel. That's what he does. He starts teaching. And so that, that, that's why pastors, side note here, that's why pastors are teachers. You know, if, if you think about Peter, remember when Peter um, denied Jesus three times and, and Jesus was restoring Peter in John 21? He said, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, you know I love you. And then he says what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my flock. Feed my lambs. Feed them. The only qualification that a pastor has in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that's not their own personal character of godliness is the ability to teach. Because that's what shepherding is in this era. Shepherding is teaching God's word in a group, in private, and telling people what God's word says so that they can follow the chief shepherd, who? Jesus Christ, right? And, and so that's why they, they don't need physical food first. They need the teaching of Jesus. That's why when, when they were all finally, when Jesus came back, fast forwarding the story a little bit, when he feeds the 5,000, now they want Jesus to keep feeding them. They're like, great, I don't need to work anymore. Free food for my family. Imagine that. Free food for a year. Free food for 10 years. Would you be okay with that? You got vouchers with free food for the next 10 years for you and your family. Wouldn't that help you out financially? Right? So they're saying free food. And when Jesus says, I haven't come to give you that food. You're supposed to, he says in uh, John 6, 35, that you should be working not for the loaves that fill you. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. And then he says, you got to eat me. And they're like, what? Yeah, he said, yes, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, what the? What's going on here? And so they leave. And Jesus doesn't even explain it. They're like, what is this? And they leave. And Jesus says, fine, go. And then he looks at his 12 disciples and says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter says, very perceptively here, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's about the teaching. It's about the teaching. The words of eternal life. That's what it's about. So Jesus is caring for them. And he's meeting their needs there spiritually. But not only that, I mean, he ends up meeting their needs physically as well, as you continue on with the story. I'll summarize the story for you. We read it already. So Jesus does meet the physical need here too, doesn't he, in this story? There's 30,000 people out there. And what does he do? This accomplishment is amazing, right? He's going to feed them till they're full. 30,000 people. How's he going to do this? So Jesus keeps on teaching. They keep listening. It gets late. It gets so late, well, not, not, it's not quite getting dark yet, but the 12 disciples, just like a lot of us here who serve in this church, you start to see needs in the church, right? We need to do this. We need to do that. One, the disciples start to see a need. It's getting late. There are no towns and villages anywhere around. This is a deserted place. And these people are all, are, are all going to be hungry. And it's, it's, it's not quite dark yet, Jesus, but if you keep going, they're, they're gonna have, there's no streetlights at night. They're going to walk from a deserted place to find a village with their kids? Yeah, right. We need to get them out right now before it gets late. They're not, they're not annoyed. They're trying to serve. They love the crowd too. We want to serve this crowd. And so they're saying, 
Jesus, you need to send them away. They need to buy something to eat or else, you know, it's going to be late, right? And they're thinking, you know, Jesus should be proud of them because they're so caring. And they were caring. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Imagine Jesus telling, let's just pick any 12 members of this church and just imagine we say, all right, you 12, feed these 30,000 right now. What? And so they, they say somewhat maybe sarcastically, okay, like, what does he say in verse, um, what verse is this? The 200 denarii. In verse uh, 37, they say to him, okay, let me just go in my pocket and pull out $40,000, Jesus, and pay for everyone's food. That's what 200 denarii is. One denarii is a day's wage. If you average 60000 as the median income in Los Angeles County, that's about 40000 eight months of pay. Okay, Jesus, let me just pull out $40,000 from my wallet and find enough foods and services. I mean, even if we had to serve 30000 right now, right here, you, still, you can't go to just one food chain, right? You're just going to have to go everywhere, and that would take forever even to organize that. It's an impossible task, right? That's the point. Financially, it's impossible. Logistically, it's impossible. Organizing to get these people fed is impossible. And Jesus looks at the 12 and says, you feed them. Okay, what do we do? And he's trying to make them feel that they are insufficient. See, part of our problem is we can't be used by God when we think that we have the gifts within ourselves. When we don't feel desperate, when we feel adequate with our own resources and knowledge and wisdom and experience, then we're not as useful. But when we're desperate and we just have no clue what we're doing, now we're getting somewhere. You know, as I disciple younger pastors and those who are trying to aspire to pastoral ministry, and we just throw them out into different situations, and they say, I don't know how to handle that situation. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, that's good. So what should you do? Pray, right? Pray, read the Bible, figure it out. And that, that, now you're starting to learn. You've got to get on your knees if you're going to serve these people. You don't know what to do. That's exactly right. They don't know what to do. And so Jesus says, how, much, how many, what do we have? What food do we have? Five loaves and two fish. Okay, good. We've got five loaves and two fish. So what, so what should we do with these five loaves and two fish? Well, um, he says, tell everyone to sit down in hundreds and fifties. So now you could actually get a count because you, you see people grouped in hundreds and fifties. You could get a count. So have everyone sit down. They get the, he gets the five loaves and two fish. And it says he looks up to heaven, blesses the food, and breaks it. Very, very familiar phraseology going on there, right? Later on in the Lord's Supper. He, he, he looks up to heaven, breaks the bread, blesses it, and hands it out to the disciples. Now picture this logistically. I didn't see that until this morning. I read the passage again this morning with my son, just in preparation for, for the Sunday service. And I, I realized something that I hadn't seen before. They are, it says in verse, in verse uh, 40... I'm sorry, verse 41. It says, He blessed and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to, to who? His disciples to set before the people. Imagine 30,000 people sitting down. And who are the ones feeding the food? Sent, are delivering the food? How many men? Twelve, right? Imagine how many trips back and forth they had to do. Right? Here's more food. Here's another basket full. Break, break, break. Fill these baskets. All right, go, go. They come back. Here, give me another basket. And they're just... How many times did, did Peter go back and forth? 50 times, maybe, right? Just going back and forth, delivering bread and fish everywhere? This had to get ingrained in their mind how miraculous this was. This was not a quick miracle that you just read. It takes a minute to read it. That's not how long it took. This miracle just kept going, right, as they're administering the food. So here the point is, Jesus meets their physical needs. Now, how does this relate to Jesus shepherding? Here's how it relates to Jesus shepherding. 
Jesus cares for our physical needs and cares for our spiritual needs, but not to the same degree. He cares for our physical needs in order that we would see our spiritual need and have that met. Okay? Does that make sense? He's caring for our physical needs to help us see that we need him for our spiritual needs, and then he meets those. So even at the end of this chapter in verses 53 through 56, where he's healing the sick, it says they were touching his tassel, and as many of them touched his robe, they were what? Healed or made well. You know what another translation of that is? Saved. They touched his robes, and they were saved. Now, if you're a Christian, you just think saved. Like All of a sudden, you're not thinking physically saved. You're thinking um, spiritually saved, right? You're thinking saved from sin. And that's the point, is that the physical healing, the physical feeding, yes, Jesus meets physical needs, but he meets physical needs to point to the fact that he has come to meet the greatest need, namely the wrath of God on your head for your sin. Because we are all separated from God in our sin, in our selfishness, in our stubbornness, in our pride, in our so-called wisdom. And we deserve hell for how we live our lives. That's our greatest need. Someone to save us from our sins. And so the physical provisions are pointing to the spiritual provisions, which is why he's teaching. Because Jesus says in John chapter 6 later on, you guys are coming for physical food. You should come for the spiritual food. And he says, I am the bread of life. Everyone who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. So how do we get our needs met by Jesus? By him coming as the bread of life. And what does bread do? First, the wheat has to die, it says in John 12. A grain of wheat dies and it goes in the ground. And then when it comes up, it becomes wheat and then you you make bread. Something has to die before bread is made. Right? To feed. You You see the analogy here? Jesus is the bread of life. Why? Because he has to die first to feed us. He has to die for our sins to feed us. But he's not just the bread of life. He's also the shepherd. What does John 10 say? John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I am laying down my life so I may take it up again. He says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus gives eternal life. Not just because he's the bread that dies to give life. He's the shepherd who dies to give life. Jesus dies for our sin. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure you're a Christian, I want to talk to you this morning. Thank you for coming. I just want to say a word to you now before we continue. Thank you for coming. It can be uh, rather maybe uncomfortable if you're in a room filled with Christians and you feel like you're the only non-Christian here. You're probably not the only non-Christian here. But if you're not a Christian, we're, we're glad you're here. We hope we can help you think through who God is. But here's my question for you. Do you realize that you need a shepherd? Do you realize that you need someone to care for you, to lead you in your life? That sounds kind of humbling, right? It's almost like you're childish, right? Like we need someone to lead us. But I wonder if you realize that. You know when you were a kid, you thought adults had it all together? And then you became an adult? And you realized that as a kid, you just did not understand what adults were going through, right? You realize that as an adult, but sometimes you don't realize it enough spiritually to see that you still need Jesus to guide you. There's a reason why you feel that awkwardness of, wow, I thought adults had it all together. Now that I'm one, I realize we don't. Yeah, you should realize that to the point of going to Jesus for shepherding. If you don't feel your need for Jesus, you're not going to come to Jesus. 
If you don't feel your hunger, you won't look for Jesus to satisfy you. If you don't know how desperate your predicament is, as someone who's enslaved to sin and condemnation, you're not going to call on Jesus to save you and shepherd you. But I'm inviting you this morning to call on Jesus to save you. If you're not a Christian, you need to understand that God made you and you are answerable to him for your life and all of your sin. And all of us here, just so you know, non-Christian friend, you're in a room full of sinners. You might not have known that, but I just want you to know you're in a room full of sinners. Christians and non-Christians here, we're all sinners. And the Bible teaches that the penalty for sin is death, eternal death in hell. And that's true for you, non-Christian. And God is telling you that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins and rise from the dead, to be the bread of life and to be the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep so that if you will turn from your sins in repentance and trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, you will be saved. That's my invitation to you this morning. You thought you came here because it was your plan. And it was sort of your plan, but it was also God's plan that you're here this morning. And God wants you He's telling you right now, turn from your sins and trust in my son, Jesus Christ, who died for you and rose for you, lest you be swept away in the consequences of your own choices. If you're a Christian, what is God telling us? He's telling us that Jesus cares about our needs. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And what do we need? Like Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. What does he mean here? He means that he's the one to satisfy us. Do you know what evil is? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. I am trying to follow the Lord's leading even as I'm preaching. And I'm realizing right now, we're just going to do this one point. We're going to do the second point next week. Okay? So relax if you're thinking, he's not getting there. I'm not going to get there today. Jeremiah chapter 2. Let's just linger here for the remainder of our time on what it means that Jesus feeds us physically and spiritually. Jeremiah 2, verse 12. This is a very enlightening passage for my soul, and I hope it is for yours as we read it. It says this, Be horrified at this, heavens. This is horrible. There's a horrible situation. Be shocked and utterly appalled. This would be a headline across the newspaper. Shocking, breaking news. This is the Lord's declaration. What is the shocking, terrible, horrific news? Look at verse 13. For my people have committed a double evil. What are the two evils? They have abandoned me, the fountain of what? Living water, and they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can't what? Hold water. What is evil? Two evils. Evil number one, You have a fountain of living water, and what have you done with it? You turned away from it. No, thank you, I'm going to find my water somewhere else. God is the fountain of living water. We just sang, come thou fount of every blessing. God, Jesus is the fountain of every blessing. We're singing that he would come. But what's the evil here? That they turn away from that fountain of living water. I don't need your living water, God. I got my own. That's the first evil. I don't need yours. What's the second evil in verse 13? What's their solution? If they're they're forsaking God as the fountain to meet every single one of our needs and satisfy us, what's the second evil in verse 13? They have dug what? Cisterns for them that can hold no 
water. So here's the second evil, is they found their own solution for drinking. And their cisterns can hold no water. So you know what evil is here? Evil is stupidity. It's, it's stupid. It's foolish. It's insane to, to be thirsty and give up living water to go to a cistern that's full of dirt. Right? Isn't that insane? And that's what sin is. Sin is saying, I have a better solution to my life's problems. It's not God, the fountain of living water. I got my own solutions to my family problems. I got my own solutions to my health problems. I got my own solutions to my relational problems, to my church problems, to my neighbor problems, to my country problems. And that's evil. It's evil to come up with your own solutions. Your cisterns are broken. My cisterns are broken. And the evil is that we turn to our own cistern over and over and over again, rather than learning that our cisterns are broken and we have to go to Jesus, the fountain of living water. So when he comes and says, I am the bread of life, he who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst again. He's saying, I have come to meet your physical, spiritual, and all of your needs. I have come to do it. Now, I might do it through my people. I might do it through your paycheck. But I am the one who meets your needs. Look to me. That's what righteousness is. So if you're a Christian, you need to understand that you need to go back to Jesus again and again. You know what? Here's, a, here's one simple way of applying it. When you eat lunch this, this afternoon, thank Jesus that he's providing it for you. And realize that your paycheck or however you're paying for that lunch is given by Jesus. And if it weren't for Jesus, that need of that lunch would not be met. See, we get paid twice a month, right? Or once a month. And when we get paid, we just, we're not living on the daily where we say, give us this day our daily bread. We don't feel the need of every day. We have refrigerators, right? We got, we got daily bread stored up. So we don't feel the need every day. They did. And that's, that's, a, that's a hindrance for us spiritually is that we need Jesus, and so we need to lean on him and go to him because he wants us to come to him, okay? And lastly, let me apply it to the church before we close. What does this mean for us as a church, as a church family? And if you're from another church, what does it mean for you with your church family? We have here at First Southern Baptist Church so many needs, every church has so many needs, and we have so many needs here to be a healthy New Testament Baptist church. So here's the question. To where will we look? Where will we look for help as a church? With all of the needs we have as a church family, where are we going to look? Should we look to the pastor? Me? Should we look to the other leaders? Should we look to the prominent or outspoken church members? Should we look to the whole body maybe? Should we all put our paychecks together and see what we can do and, and have like a co-op for, for, for meeting needs? Should we look to our, our association or our convention? Or maybe we should look to our past traditions and our past experiences. Where are we to look for our church to be healthy? Where? To have our needs met. Or better phrased, to whom should we look? Now the answer becomes clearer, right? We look to Jesus. He shows us himself by his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he feeds us through his word, he will guide our church. He will feed our church. He will strengthen our church and he will enable our church to the degree that we follow him according to his word.
And to the degree that we put this to the side and say we have better ways, to that degree we will remain or maybe even increase in, in unhealth. And that's true for all churches. Okay, I'm not just saying our church. All churches need to either come to his word and be guided by the pastor, the chief pastor, or they put his word aside and run their church their own way. And so we as a church, we need, we need to make sure we're, we're following his word. We have a business meeting today. We want to follow his word. We're not there to just air our opinions. We're there to follow his word. And, and one more thing for our church, as I close my Bible here, one more thing for our church is, we should, care, should we care for physical needs or spiritual needs? Both, right? But what's more important to Jesus? Spiritual needs. So here's a challenge for you. As you share your prayer requests with other people, I challenge you, brothers and sisters, to share spiritual need prayer requests at least equal to your physical need prayer requests or more. Simple challenge, right? When you ask people to pray for you, ask them to pray for a spiritual need you have and not just a physical one. And then we will see God answering our prayers. And we'll talk about an answer to prayer next week as we see Jesus walk on the water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you meet our physical and spiritual needs. Father, when we have long been irritated with each other and lost our temper with each other, you look on us with compassion. You see us as sheep that so desperately need a shepherd. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love shepherding your sheep. You, you leave the 99 to find the one. You care for each one of us, for our spiritual needs and our physical needs. And so, Father, we are praying this morning that as a church family, that you would feed us. That you would keep feeding us. That we would not go to broken cisterns that cannot hold any water but that we would continually surrender all to you and seek you so that we might feast on you and drink from you again and again and again. Not just by ourselves, but as a church family. And so, Father, like every Sunday, we have come to meditate on your word and you have come to explain it to us. And now we pray that we would hide these words in our heart, that it would give us health individually and as a church, and that it would help us to not sin against you. And we pray for our, our friends here who are not Christian, that even this morning, that they would surrender their lives to you and have the bread of life and the fountain of living water so that they will never be thirsty again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.